Hello and welcome to the Hunt High Carvers podcast with your hosts, Jason Hirsch and Joel Rayther, where we bring you everything from training tips to nutrition, as well as industry leaders and those from the field to better enhance your hunting experience. And now, without further ado, welcome our hosts, Jason and Joel. One, we are live. So, um, welcome everybody. We are back for another podcast. I'm solo. Um, I didn't actually tell you this, but uh, Jason is uh, out coaching today, and I actually have another coach that's going to be on today with me, uh, Jermaine Hodge, uh, which is is pretty cool. I, I reached out to Jermaine. Uh, we've kind of really casually and, and indirectly crossed paths a couple times, but we've this is the first time we've actually talked a semi face to face here, even though you're in uh, Iowa right now. Um, so right. We're, I, I appreciate you carving out a little bit of time. Um, I'll just to p- let people know if you don't know who Jermaine is, um, first and foremost, um, you are, uh, in the military, which, uh, thank you for your service, which to me is huge. I do a bunch of work in the tactical field. And so, uh, thank you for that. I believe you, uh, army medic, is that correct? Army medic. Yeah. So, uh, I could use a guy like you, uh, out in the, the elk woods with me. <laughs> well, if it get, if it gets like that, then then we in bad situation. <laughs> so hopefully you ain't gonna need no, I, me. I, I, I like to make sure I got my bases covered in case. <laughs> oh, okay, backup plans. Yeah, right. So, um, but uh, and then to kind of add to that, uh, Jermaine also works with uh, the world class athlete program within the Army, and uh, he's a, a decorated wrestler, been with Team USA for multiple years, and now is on the coaching side. I believe uh, with the women's team. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, Correct. So, um, very yeah. cool. We uh, through the little bit of conversation we've had, with a little bit of common threads. Um, I trained college wrestlers for quite a while. Um, love wrestling. Uh, so you know, we actually had a mutual friend that that's in in the WCAP program that we kind of talked about the other day, and and so it's cool to see yep. you part of that. Um, I actually have some colleagues of mine in the strength conditioning world that, that work down, um, where you're at Fort Carson, probably some different buildings. Um, but, uh, you are on the road and, uh, most importantly, why we're here today is we're going to talk a little bit about some hunting, which, uh, I think everybody likes. Absolutely. I always carve out some time to talk about so hunting. to kind of, I think that's kind of a good conduit because you grew up in, in North Carolina. Is that correct? Correct. Um, so how does a guy from North Carolina, go from there. I think there's obviously a pretty natural progression. We talk about your wrestling career, uh, end up in Colorado Springs, go from Colorado Springs to becoming an elk hunter, to becoming an elk hunter, to a, a, a world champion elk caller. Let's, let's talk yeah, about that so first. Yeah, so it could be this. a very lengthy story, but I'll give you a rundown of how it all formulated. I wanted to join the military and wrestle for the military and i took a long route to get around to becoming a part of the world-class athlete program and so i joined my junior year in college joined the military and lo and behold they sent me off to korea and i said i i, I told my parents i said uh, i said i think they just ruined my life i you know i didn't know i didn't know that it was going to be a blessing in disguise though and 
the first formation that the first sergeant came out, he had a laundry list of things that you could do to stay out of trouble because in Korea you could actually get into some deep trouble. But, um, well, he came out and he said there's a wrestling tournament in Camp Casey, which was about two hours north of where I was. So I went up there and, and wrestled in that, that, that competition during the weekend, took a couple of buddies with me, won that tournament. And then it, the athletic director, um, he, he popped over and said, man, who are you? I just gave him a little bio. He said, well, there's another tournament down in Seoul. If you want to go down there, uh, you know, check that tournament out too next weekend. So I did it again. Then he came back again. He was like, listen, I haven't seen somebody like you in a long time. So if you put your packet together, I'll send it up for you and see if we can get you uh, ready to, to for all army, which is a sister program to WCAP. It's a feeder program, basically. And then the guys okay. that were stationed there with me sure. was like, you know, man, well, good luck. You know, hopefully you make this program. Well, three weeks later, I got orders to Fort Carson, Colorado. And they asked me, when you coming back? I said, I'm not, I'm not coming back. Okay. I'm not coming back. I said, if I'm coming back, I'm coming back <laughs> to get my stuff. And that's it. <laughs> and <a> I <laughs> kept my word. I, I, I worked very hard <laughs> to, to be at this, you know, the open level and on the senior circuit. And, uh, and then I got, Orders to Fort Carson probably about a month after uh, the first U.S. Nationals. And then from that point on, I was in Colorado. So that was in 2005. And then I missed the elk draw in 2005. And the guys were telling me, well, you're, you're in Colorado now. You're in, you're in elk mecca, right? Lots of elk tags here. Put yourself out there. Let's see how good of a hunter you really are. And yeah. 2006, I dove in head first from 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 north carolina to where you are now and throughout that time i you know i was wrestling competing and and also trying to fill elk tags every year so that kind of sums up where you know where i was from north carolina and then coming into colorado and how i got hooked into elk hunting yeah so had, nope. had you hunted not once you came to colorado not once I, I, and here we are. So what I, you know, I, I tackled it like it was a wrestling practice or a wrestling competition. And I put in all my work and hard practice to becoming this, not just this, you know, person that can, that find elk, but I, I'm able to call these elk in. And I drove my wife insane that first entire whole year leading up to September (laughs) drove her crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. I uh I think the only the only place that I outside of work, which I, I work with guys that, that hunt as well, is uh a lot a lot of Absolutely. call time happens in the truck for me. Yes. In the truck. <laughs> at the house. I, I do that around the it's house and everywhere with me. At at that point, at that point. Now it's not so much yeah. I I pick up the calls and I practice with my son more now than anything, but, uh, I don't leading. I, I did. I last time I really practices practice as much as I did is when you're leading up the competitions, elk calling competitions. But, um, when I'm getting ready for the, you know, those competitions that then I really rev up my practice time. But when I was first cutting my teeth, trying to learn, right. you know, elk language, that's when I was practicing like no other. 
I mean, all the way from 2000, 2000 right. beginning of 2006 to maybe 2009, 10, when I was just, all right, I got this honed in. I think we got, we good. We, at least we could uh, communicate with them. So let's let's talk about that a little bit, and and I got like I th- there was like three or four things where I'm like oh let's we got to hit on that we got to hit on that right, um, one of them that you answered which was you know had you ever hunted elk before here which was a no and and uh, interestingly like for me it was very similar I didn't I had never hunted elk the year before I moved to Colorado was the first year I hunted elk that was in 2002, and a buddy of mine kind of granted me you know access into the good old boys of his dad and a whole bunch of guys that had hunted forever uh in the same place go back to you know like how people are so you know creatures of habit and stuff and it was rifle season and of course it's like third season it's cold you got snow you know halfway up your boots and all that i'm like ah this is cool this is fun and you go back and you drink beer at night and do stuff like that and and uh and then the next year uh, I went with just him, and it was the first time I'd ever archery hunted. And and I didn't even carry a bow. I just went with him like, hell yeah, I'll go. Let's do this. This is fun. And I go in September, and unfortunately, this is one of those good stories. And if you've watched our podcast before, I've told this story. But um, Labor Day weekend, we go in. We get two to three miles in. starts raining. Rain turns to hail. Hail turns to a blizzard. And we end up like with the 10 on our face, like three times in the middle of the night. That's my first archery experience. And somehow you fast forward 20 yep. years and I'm yep. like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> right. And uh, so, but uh, kind of kind of going back to where I was going to uh, pick up my, my question, which was how, how did you go from your like, and, and I find it really cool because I wanted to talk about the parallels I, because obviously you already mentioned it. Number one, which is, if you've ever been in around or wrestled yourself, um, you know, there's such a culture behind growing up in, in that environment, which is a lot of hard work, a lot of blue collar, right? It is, it's constant continual practice. And, and you mentioned it in saying like, I decided that I wanted to become an elk hunter. And then I decided I was going to be a, an elk caller. Talk about your progression of that, because you, you basically took a lot of that discipline and things that, that came from what you were familiar with and said, I'm going to apply those same principles into becoming an elk hunter and an elk caller. How did you determine then, like when you decided, all right, I think I'm a really good elk caller and I'm going to start entering competitions. Like, where, well, where did let, that let, you know, it was, was not a target for me. That was actually a friend pushing me in that direction. And I would hear it year in year out, man. I when you when you're calling, I can't tell if he you're the bull or he's the bull. You know, you're that good. And how are you doing this on a yearly basis, pulling these bulls across us every single time? And they said, you know, I had a good buddy of mine. His name is Pat. He hunts with me a lot, and uh, he was like, bro, I just want you to do it one time. I, you know, and I said, well, if I'm a, if I'm gonna do the competition, I'll go out there and I'll do this one, you know, one competition. It was in Colorado Springs, and uh, it was with it was put on by Mile Mile High Note Game Calls, uh, the Deesmans. They they're really good guys, and um, yeah. went out there and it's old school kind of method where you draw a number out of the hat. And it was, I think it was seven contestants. Right. And they said, if you draw a number one, you have to call twice. And that's just to get the judges' ears warmed up. 
Well, I drew the number one, and then I ended up drawing the number five. So I had to I had to call twice. And um, and so I get on the stage, nervous like no other. And I don't know why I was so nervous because I've wrestled on many, many, many wrestling mats in competitions that you know are right. your, your guts are rolling because you're so scared, right? And then once you slap hands, hold on, like they get you there. I, I got interrupted a little bit. I apologize right. about no, that. You're, you're good. Um, I think uh, a lot of times on, with the phone, like if you get a text or anything like that, like yeah. it, it, it'll pause. And so, yeah, it, I think we're still good. To, we're still recording. I'm still showing that we're, we're running. So, 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 so you, you said so as soon I, as you slap hands, go. Yes, yeah, as soon as you slap hands, the nerves goes right. away, right? Well, when you're calling on that stage, those nerves never go away. <laughs> I got no clue right. why they stay with you the whole yeah. time. And, uh, so I, I called the first time and I was like, okay. And I looked at the, at the crowd as I was, you know, doing my best rendition right. in the woods. So you got 45 second cow sounds and 45 second right. bull sounds at this particular competition. And I was like, well, everybody's looking at me with their mouth dropped wide open, their eyes all big. And they're like, I said, that could either be one or two things. He's horrible, he's horrible, or yeah, he's really good. one or the other. There's, there's no word. <laughs> yeah. And I go sit down, and my wife was like, yeah, you just killed it. And everybody in the doggone stands was like, who is this nice. guy? And then, so everybody goes up, and, and they start calling. And then I call, I had to call again, and I get the same look. So after the competition... The, the judges come up to the front and then they announce the winners from third to first. So number three goes up, you know, I'll clap my hands. Number two goes up and clap my hands. I'm like, well, I probably got my, I probably lost this one. And, and then boom, I won this contestant. Number five is your winner. Right. So then I was talking to these men's and they were like, man, this your first competition ever. I said, yeah. I said, usually I'm just in the woods, right, Elk Woods, yeah. right? They were like, they encouraged me to go and check out some other competitions. So then I went to Salt Lake City and is uh, a regionals, <clears throat> and uh, it was probably about 32 contestants at that particular competition, which was um, Western Hunt yeah. Expo, which I was just down yeah. there too. But uh, I uh, I went down there. This was a couple years ago, so 2019. I went down there and I got whooped up <laughs> so, so bad. It was th out of 32 contestants. I was, I finished like 14th and I went home after that. And I was determined if I was to show up at world championships, it was going to be a different me. So I went to practicing like no other for a solid month and a half. And I say that ain't that long leading into that competition, but I, I was determined that I wasn't going to be beat up like I did at Utah. So then I, then I went to world championships. We had a lot of fun. And my goal was, is to beat two people in that bracket at least. And they formulated it where it's like an NCAA right. bracket where you're head to head yep. against somebody, which I felt like the odds would be better in my favor if I'm head to head with somebody, right. because now you're not listening to everybody listening to these yeah. two guys. Yeah. I and, like that format. And then they draw. Yes, and then they draw a call 
calls out of a hat, right? And you have to mimic those calls, which I really like too, because I was like, well, I know all these calls. Now, now let's see who's the best at these particular calls, or at least subjectively best at these calls. And because it's judged, right? It ain't the judge, the real judge is in the woods, but you know, you have seven panels of, of judges back there and everybody, you know, is looking for something a little different. I don't know. But I went through that bracket and I absolutely was scared the whole time. And I stepped on stage and I said, I'm just going to do my best. And uh, I, they called me the ba- uh, the bracket buster because I went through there and just started doing my best calls I could do. And then next thing you know, I made it to day two, which is the final four. As soon as you make it to semis, you make it to day two. And then uh, I ended up winning the, the competition in 2019. So that was really, That's really awesome. fun. I thought it was a blast. Um but it's definitely not like being in the woods yeah, for sure. Talk, talk a little bit about that. So a cu- couple of things for if you've never watched any of these, I mean, obviously uh, YouTube can be really good or really bad, but if you go and search around um, a lot of the competitions and probably including, uh, you know, some of the ones you've been through, you can find them there. And what, what, if you've never seen one, what most people don't know is the judges are, are blinded from the callers. So they're only allowed to use their ears in order to determine what they're hearing. So, that, so it doesn't matter if it was you or Donald Duck or whoever on stage, like they don't know who's standing up there. So that, that, so that there's at least a level of objectivity that's created from that perspective. But then, like you said, there's some subjectivity based on what each person deems is is a better quality or, or you know, better sound or what they think matches or mimics, you know, real elk. Like you said, the, the real judge, which is out in the woods. Um, talk about that a little bit, like, because I've heard, you know, like I've listened to Corey talk about it. I've talked with Dirk and, and if you've seen, you know, we had Jason and Dirk on, on the podcast last year, kind of at the same time, which was kind of fun. You, you, I'm sure you know how that goes, right? Um, we'll talk yep. about that next, but how, how do you take um, what, you know, competition calling looks like and how has that really changed? You know, like you said, when you get out to the real judge, which is out in the woods, like, where does that help you and where is that like really kind of those two things differentiate? Well, when you're in, when you're on stage, they give you a certain call or calls or time frame to make those calls. So some of those time frames could be 45 seconds. If you're in the men's division or, or the, um, professional division it's 45 seconds cow sounds or 45 second bull sounds if you're at world championships they draw the call out of the the hat and that is a particular call that you're making but we'll just use world championships as a platform so when they draw these calls out of the hat you just do your best to mimic that particular sound now versus being in the woods you my my whole thing is is First, you want to get him to, to sound off. And then you want to judge his behavior as as he sounds off. So if I throw out a location bugle and he answers five, six hundred yards away, I don't make another sound until I move and close the distance in. And then I'm going to judge everything I do based off his behavior. And that's a lot different than being on the stage because I'm not necessarily throwing out a, uh, a bull bark 
at this, you know, at this elk because that's not something I'm I'm opening up the discussion right. for, right? So, but on stage, they might ask you to do bull barks, and you have to do your best rendition of that bark. But being on stage and being in the woods, totally different, totally different. The nerves, though. The nerves are pretty same, especially when you get that, when you get that big bull coming in and he's oh, yeah. screaming. If you ain't somewhat kind of nervous, wrong. you so, go go yeah, do something right. else. I, I've, I've yet to be in that situation where I'm like, ah, yeah, this is just normal. Like, I, I think, and probably most people can think back, like their their first time you get close contact with a bull and he, you know, bugles, screams, whatever, and, and there's like there's a feeling that like hits you right and and you just kind of whoa man like it it startles you almost because you don't realize how much like force and power and volume gets behind that that just it's and like you said if if that doesn't like i would say like if that doesn't bend your stinger a little bit like i I don't know what will (laughs) yes yes and and that same kind of feeling you get on the stage yeah. too. So I don't know. I think it's it's a little bit of uh, like a. I, I call myself an adrenaline junkie, but it's something of that that you get when you see him screaming. But the crazy thing is, is being able to work through that too. Because if you can't work through that, you'll crack right. under pressure. And, and like you said, I think that there's a, another parallel there, which is. You know, where a lot of times successes and failures lie, whether that is on stage or whether that's in the woods, right? right? Like, which is, can you maintain keeping your level of focus and your wits about you enough that you're thinking clearly what's next? Am I in the right position? Am I, you know, and being able to execute under those those conditions. And we talk a lot about that with, you know, we've talked about shooting and, and there's a huge aspect of that, which we haven't even touched a bow. We're just talking about getting them there, right? Um, and and so I think as you mentioned, there's, there's probably a little bit of that, like adrenaline junkie in all of us where, you know, I, I, I've told a story about like the first time I ever drew my, my bow on an elk, I couldn't even find my peep sight. Like I literally was just like, I, I trying to like figure it out, you know, holy cow, man, like breathe a little bit. We got to like slow down and Mm -hmm. and you don't realize until you get in those moments, like any, any running, lifting, shooting combination of both or whatever, it, it doesn't match it. it, And, um, until you get in that situation and then you find, you really find out like how well do you handle those situations? That's right. That's right. And I, I believe when you're, when you first start off elk hunting, and and I'm not just I'm, I'm you get it when you get it too when you're white tail hunting but when you when you have a dragon that's bugling his butt off right there yeah. in front of you it I I would say that's a lot different than a big white tail walking yeah, in front of you sure. right but so at the very beginning of my elk hunting career I was just like that dude I couldn't see my peep sight I didn't know if I was doing everything right. I was shaking. I don't know where my pen, my pen was moving all around. <laughs> and later on, as I, I started getting a little bit better at bringing these elk in closer and closer and years of being in the woods, I've learned how to work under that pressure. And we can go down a bunch of rabbit holes. I have a, I have some friends that 
aren't in the woods as much as I am, especially when we, we, we're talking about elk hunting. And last year we had, I think it was six tags for this particular area. And my wife was included in the, one of those tags. And I seen a lot of mistakes out of all those guys, including my wife, because they don't spend the time in the woods enough. They, they haven't been out elk hunting enough. And when that pressure evolved, they were cracking and making too many mistakes. Yeah. Um, so, but I think it just builds up over time. But regardless, it never goes away. But I think you, as a, as a seasoned vet in the elk woods, you can work better under those pressures because you've seen it a right. lot. So, uh, kind of maybe going backwards just a little bit. How how long? So you started said around like 2006 or somewhere in that neighborhood. You start kind of working your way into like this. This is a passion of mine. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. How long for you was it before you filled your first tag? Like how how many years did it take for you? It didn't take me nothing. I filled mine the first oh, year. Gosh, you're supposed you're supposed to say like five I years feel, of hard work. <laughs> I know most people most people would be like most people would be like yeah. It took me five years before I cracked it. I cracked yeah. the code. I cracked the code immediately, and it took lots of practice. Now I was not that good at calling, but what I did do is I practiced what I needed. Uh, the fundamentals of getting them to sound off, moving in, closing the distance, checking my wind. And I wasn't even that good at checking my wind. Sometimes I just go in and bust the whole right. situation up. Yeah. But but I was good enough, good, good enough to make it happen. And that's why I – I was successful and also you know just like just like wrestling practice i mean it's just reps and reps and reps and reps so i've met more failure that first year but it only took one bull to make that one mistake and and i end up harvesting my first bull on the first yeah. year and then i had friends that's hunted elk for years and said well that that was a fluke let's see if he can do it next year and i did it again yeah. And then they were like, okay, this maybe this ain't a fluke. <laughs> maybe he is. <laughs> right. this, yeah, he's the luckiest guy ever. <laughs> uh, that's, that's funny. It, it was crazy. So, and I think you see that a lot, right? And, like, um, I've had – yeah, and, and I'll be the first to tell you, and, and you see if you've watched anything of ours, you know, I've had, I've had years where – I've eaten eaten tags, and and uh, the last couple of years has been uh, those those moments. You know, this year was one of those for us where, um, you know, area we were in was super dry. Um, we heard one bugle the entire month. Uh, you know, we we were out three three different times in the month of September. Um, one really short trip, one four to five day trip, another three to four day trip. You know, where we kind of like tried to to go out learn adapt adjust maybe move whatever go back and and um and it was just tough you know and and a lot of times you get into situations where you know your opportunity may be one and if it's that one then you got to you know capitalize and we had a bull at 60 almost you know estrus called screen just barrels downhill like you know a freight train out of control and uh, I, I had moved back as he was coming downhill and 
as soon as I get there and, and he's in that, like that distance where you're like, okay, how, how are we going to get him to close that last, you know, 20 or so to, to where we've got a shot. And I feel the wind hit the back of my head and I went, oh man, you know, Ooh. and as soon as the wind shifted, I look back up and phew, he's gone. Right. And, and, yep. uh, had another bull the week before that kick him out of a bed, runs downhill, stands behind just a curtain of trees, you know, and we're just sitting there watching. He's staring at us. We're staring at him and we're like, huh, you know, and, and that's kind of how last year went. And, and that, that's the way it goes. But, you know, my point is like, what do you view in, in, you know, like you said, you, you were, you found success and some of it came through a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of commitment, you know, you, you putting yourself in good situations, you investing a lot of time. And, you know, so now fast forward, 15 years of you know this trial and error piece what are the things like if you were going to say like hey joe schmo you want to be a good elk hunter um here's the things i learned and here's the things i see that probably are situationally or conditionally determine success and failure like if you if you had a, a top two or three or something like that um well the first the first thing that i would say to someone that is new to it or hasn't had success is uh, first of all are you in an area that you you're finding elk right because if you're in an area where there's not a high concentration of elk or a good number of elk then you you need to look at a different location right so if you're beating your yourself every year on an OTC tag and you go to those spots because you've seen one right. elk, you probably need to change locations. Now, for the guys that have access to go in and do a little scouting, why not go in and possibly do some early season scouting, some shed hunting, seeing you know where they're moving, if they're in the area, putting up trail cameras if it's legal in your area, putting up trail cameras, seeing if there's elk in there. And then spending some time doing that. Now for the guys that don't and they're non-resident and they a lot of e-scouting right away. That's the best thing I could tell you. Or reach out on Instagram and IG to some of these guys that are really, really good at, at finding elk. And, and they're not going to give you your hot, yeah. their hot areas. But, they, you know, most <laughs> yeah, most most of them will drop you an area where, hey, this is where I would right. look. This is where I would look. I, I've done that many times in units that I haven't been in. And lo and behold, I've sent somebody, you know, a pin drop, hey, check this area out. And they came back right away and said, man, it was a ton of elk in there, right? And it was just based off of what I'm I'm looking at. So that that's your number one thing, right? So don't beat yourself in the head because you, you've seen one elk, you keep going back expecting different yeah. results i think that's so like, common right dude, like, like you said especially the guys that come from out of state is i think you see a lot of that we're mm -hmm. like hey this is our spot and then you know there's some fundamentals in that where you you commit right like this is where we go and you like you know plant your flag in the ground like this is our week right yeah and elk or not this is where we're hanging out for the week and in you know if you're lucky or, or if like you are in a good spot then that's great but a lot of times people get really stagnant with like, this is where we go. And if there aren't elk there, guess what? You're camping. Right. <laughs> so. Right. Right. And to go back off of what you said, and I know you don't, you, you didn't have, but a few days and y'all only got, you know, a couple encounters, but to go off to people, listen, you put your flag down you say I'm camping here 
and then you find out there's no elk, it's time to tear that camp down and move yeah, somewhere else. Right. That's plain and simple. I don't. If it's extravagant and you got a big base camp and you got, hey, you're going to have to tear that stuff down and yeah. go somewhere else. Or you're going to have to jump in the vehicle, leave camp, jump in the vehicle and go check out a new area and be willing to camp over there, yeah. too. So it's a give and take. And that's just, that's the that's the first thing that I would say a lot of new elk hunters or even hunters that uh, hunted elk before, they make that mistake year right. in and year out yeah. all the time. Um, I think my, my second, my second biggest thing is, and I'm speaking for archery primarily because, you know, you'll get some, some rifle seasons and those elk will talk in the, the rifle seasons. And that's, that, that would help during the rifle seasons if they sound off. But during those October, November, and in December months, they don't talk the same as they do in September or early sure. October. They are breeding and they are screaming. So the next thing is, is learning, learning how to call and make quality sounds because you can go out there. You don't have to be the best elk caller in the woods, but if you can make a quality sound, then you're going to change the, your whole game because if they hear the Doug Fluties in the woods, like yeah. Dirk would say, doo -doo 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 -doo, yeah. and they hear that constantly, they're going to be accustomed to that's not an elk, yeah. that's a human. But if you're making good quality sounds with a good location bugle and drops off clean like a like a bull would sound, then you you're going to change how many encounters you get yeah. in. So I think, and it, and it involves practice. It involves yeah. practice years and years and years because let's really sum it up to you only get one month a year, right? And that's September. In most states it's September that the rut is peak, and you know, peaks in September. So if you take the number of years and you drop them all down to one month, then Honestly, I only have 16 months, 17 months of practice, yeah. right? And that's all done during September. But practice never stops for me, especially when I'm calling because I'm calling at least 365 a year. I'm picking up a read. I'm looking at videos. I'm, I'm practicing my mental game. So, and I'm listening to Elk and what they're saying, when they say it, and how they're, what they're doing when they say that. And so I kind of humanize it too, as uh, Joel Turner would say. Right, right, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, humanize yeah. it, right? So if I can practice those calls, make good quality sounds, I think most hunters would see a dramatic change in how many encounters they have. Yeah. So that'd be your like your second one. So if you're beating your head and going to the same location because you've seen one elk there, you're killing yourself. And then if you don't practice those calls, then you're not doing yourself any justice anyways, because if you want to get encounters, you're going to have to learn how to yeah. call. And whether it's on a, you know, a blue read where you just do a location bugle, uh, Phelps came out with a new easy yeah. bugle. Um, and then back in the day, I used to use a Terminator bugle from Primos. If you can use that, mix it up with like maybe an open read 
and you you're you're gonna step your game up. You're gonna have more encounters, and not one of them hoochie mamas. <laughs> maybe maybe if you want to scare yeah, them right. away. It, like <laughs> it, it's funny because I think as you spend more time, and, and you know, it's funny because I think you know Dirk should trademark the the Doug Flutie thing because it's used I think industry wide at this point, right? And, and um, yeah. And, but at the same time, like the hoochie mama, I mean, I don't know about you, but how many times you go up, oh, that's a hoochie mama, right? Like, I mean, it's just it's yep. a dead giveaway. Yep. And, and it's hard because as we've talked about this too, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. If you've ever watched someone pick up a, a you know, a diaphragm call for the first time, you're like, uh, I, I have a, a fighter that I work with and I was trying to help him a little bit. And disclaimer i'm not a, a world champion elk caller but i've spent a lot of years now calling and and i spend a ton of time trying to always improve and learn and i watch you know so many things whether it's just watching hunting watching hunting show you know like i've been watching Corey with destination elk and you know all the things that you know it's it, you even mentioning like you know the education that elk get you know there was an episode here in the last week or so where he even admitted to the fact, like, I think we just educated the elk because there's a lot of hunters in this area, you know, and it's like. He was, yeah, he was a part of right. the education. Like, they were already educated yeah, before right. he got he's there. Like, <laughs> even someone like him who, who's, you know, a world champion as well, it's like he's not immune to it either, right? And and, and so That's right. I think that there's a lot of things that, that coincide with that stuff. And and um, I, I, I want to let you, if you have a third to, to fire it before I ask my next question. But, uh, yeah, I, th I think there's a lot to be said with, with some of that stuff, especially on the calling side, which, which is where I'm, I'm going to lead to next. What's your, do you have a third? Um, let me think a little bit. <laughs> I would say, well, I would say, you know, ah, uh, it's tough because I think if you put those first two together, then you don't really need a third because let's be let's be real you don't have to be the best elk caller if you know where elk are on a consistent basis you don't have to be the best yep. elk caller so you've checked off number one because you already know where these elk are and they you've been there before or you've done your e-scouting so if you 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 have a bunch of elk and you do want to use a hoochie mama in the area you may kill a raghorn bull off that hoochie mama, right? So you might not need number two because you've corrected right. number one. But if you haven't corrected number one and you're a good caller, then circle back and fix the yeah, first one, right? They go hand in hand. I right? think this. I do. I do think that. And I and I I would go off and say this. I think this right here kind of piggybacks off both of them, right? It's being versatile, right? Because if you went in there during the summer times and you found elk and then you've practiced your calls and then you go back into that area and there's no elk in that area, then what was your B plan, yeah. C plan? And sometimes you might not have a plan. So you need to adjust fire and start looking at other yeah. locations. That, but it circles back and touches yeah. number one, that, too. That was us last year. We found an, we found an entire yep. herd of elk the week before archery season opened last year. I got video of it. There are cows mewing everywhere. Three bugles pipe off, you know, and I'm like, ah, oh, awesome. Right. right. We go back six, seven days right. later, ghost town, right? Nothing. Then not, you know, and, and yep. so again, yep. it's like one of those things where I go, well, I know they got to be here, right? And you go, not necessarily because in six, seven days, 
those elk could be three, four, five, eight, ten ridges away. Nothing says that they have any ownership to that being home or staying there, right? Like, right. There's so many right. things with the the seasons changing and the moon phases and all these other things that um, they're gonna they're gonna move, they're gonna migrate, and to to an elk being three, four, five, even more miles away is nothing, right? That's that's right. nothing for them. Uh, you, you know, one more one more thing to add to that while we touch and base and I'm, I know I'll go down That's rabbit right. holes and I'm going to give you a good, I'm going to give you a good story. I'm going to give you a good story. We, we hunted an over the counter unit and I had did some scouting down in that area. I set out eight cameras in eight different locations, probably five cameras panned out with different elk, but we were coming back to camp cause we camped in that ho- like throughout July and I looked up on top of the hill, and, and literally, it was so green up there. I was looking, and it was long, for, far, far away, probably two miles away. And I could see these little spots moving. I didn't have a spotting scope. I could see, you know, that, that they were elk. And they were up at tree line, well above tree line. And they were eating all this green grass. So I knew it was elk in the area, right? And then in August, I still were seeing elk but they were a little lower than that. They wasn't up at tree line and past tree line. They were a little lower than that. They were just right at the edge of tree line. And, and well, I said, well, when September comes, I mean, I know exactly where I'm going to go. Yeah. And little to, little to my knowledge, I didn't know that this area was going to be flooded with people. Yeah. They were going to be hunters everywhere. And when we went in, we literally were the first ones to park there early in the morning. Walked in, we got into some elk, but they, they they were acting a little funny. It's like they knew what was happening. When I came back down to the truck, I seen 20 other trucks in there. I said, Jesus. I said, well, I'm not going over here right. anymore. Anyways, um, it, it's being, it's, it's a Justin Fryer. So um, I know, you know, we'll go down rabbit holes and I have stories for you, but I had to adjust and those elk, also knowing that those elk were going to yeah, get pressure, sure. they were going to move into other yeah. areas. So I let all the other yahoos hunt that, and I hunted the other ridges that were off yeah. those ridges. And lo and behold, we were getting in the elk. We were getting in the elk, whether it's two, three yeah, ridges 100%. over. 100%. I, I, the same <laughs> thing, like this was years ago. Um, we actually went into a draw unit. Um, this was this was a, a rifle tag um probably eight eight years ago nine years ago something like that and um the best part was we go into this unit and there you're fortunate when you get those opportunities we hunt over the counter so don't think like i'm, I'm hunting private ground never hunted private ground in my life but we draw a tag we had scouted it twice and saw just amazing bulls in this unit like i've never seen before and i'm like this is amazing right so we know we got elk in this unit. so we go up um we get there a day early we're going to do another day of scouting before the season starts leave it 4 35 in the morning whatever 60 head of elk stop the truck we got to let them run across the road in front of us you know you're just going like ah yes (laughs) right like this is gonna be great yeah and uh the opening morning um we go out we had put we had put a couple bulls with a couple cows to bed we go out that opening morning and we didn't see a whole lot of hunters because it was a draw unit right and um we hear a shot crack off that first morning um it was the only shot we heard the whole time we were in there 
and all of a sudden no elk, right? And so so day yep. two, I go, we take a look at the maps. This is even before Onyx, so we're like we're we're looking back, going like we're at, we got maps laid out, right? And paper maps, out, right? yep. And so they go, well, I think we should go back here. So we go clear up, have someone like drop us off like way out, and we start hiking back and getting yep. back, and we get three, four ridges back, and guess what? That's where the elk moved to. As soon as they heard, as soon as they heard one shot crack, they're like, uh, "Let's let, let's ski down, right?" And and, and yep. you know, I know Dirk said this, and and Jason, you know, lots of people say is like, you know, you're you're not hunting hunters, you're hunting elk, but there there's a there's a give and take with that, right? It's like I don't mind seeing hunters, but just know that there there's going to be things that affect how elk are going to operate as soon as there starts to become a little more traffic or things seem to start changing the dynamic in their kitchen absolutely if they're in that area and they get any whiff a of a predator it changes everything so that goes for bears that goes for mountain lions wolves in some areas it goes for humans if they have a sense that you're there they start changing what they're doing or they push over ridges and most hunters don't get it. They just beat themselves in the head and they go back in there and I've seen elk in here. I know it's elk in here, but they forgot that these elk migrate. You have a resident herd that usually within that area and then you have migration herds that move into those areas. And when those elk come into those areas, whether they're migrating herds or, or resident herds, nothing changes other than it's a rut. And if they smell a predator of some sort, whether it be you smelling like a goat, they change up. And if, you, if you're beating that area up every day, then you're going to find out that you'll push the elk over a ridge sure. or two. Yeah. And I think that's also where the other part of it, you hear this all the time, which is like, you know, your, your casual everyday run of the mill hunter typically doesn't get more than a mile away from wherever they start. Right. Mile to mile and a half. Right. And, and you see the guys that they're willing to get further back there that have higher levels of success. And, you know, we've even talked to, and people have heard us talk about this, like outfitters, you know, outfitters talk about, you know, guys that come in, gals that come in, whoever, and they're like, you know, the quality of a, a, a tag filled typically depends on someone's ability to cover some ground, right? And there, there's right. a lot to be said to that. And, you know, you go back to the start of our conversation, which is, you know, some of the things that were ingrained into you that come from a sport background and, and myself kind of yep. being in, in the same boat where it's like, you understand that, you know, that the average ability or whatever, it, it gets you so far, but the, it's the additional piece of that, of being willing to do a little more, being willing to go a little further. And, and that's where a lot of times success starts to happen is the, sometimes not just even the ability, but the willingness, right? Um, and, that's right. And then to top that off even more, it's like, the preparation that has to go behind that and, and all the things that you have to do in order to, to execute at that level, um, determine a lot of times success and failures. Cause like you said, I mean, you know, it's funny because the, ah, like, yeah, you got lucky the first year. Ah, you got lucky the second year. And you're like, when is it not luck anymore? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and sure. You have to have right. things work in your favor and you have to sometimes have some good fortune and timing and some things, you know, all have to kind of align. But if you're doing, 
doing a higher percentage of things that work in your favor, which is learning how to call better, picking better spots, putting in scouting, you know, doing all these extra things, and then you go out and you start executing at a better level, odds are luck will start luck will be start successful. Being a little bit more uh, like skill than not necessarily. <laughs> like skill, right? Yep. I think, I think my friends at that point were after two elk killed, it didn't. Be, it wasn't luck right. no more. It was this dude's doing it. He's out there. So the luck thing went away a long time ago. They were like, he ain't lucky. He's putting in the yeah. work and he's consistently yeah, doing it for sure. So uh, a couple of things. Um, I had two two more things that I thought of that I thought would be good questions, and one of them will be uh, I'll, I'll save for the last question. I think the next one is you kind of mentioned about we've talked a lot about calling. Um, and, and especially in Colorado, right? Because there's all this, you know, depending upon what kind of groups and things you look at, and obviously social media having its impact on what's going on, whether you like it, hate it, indifferent, you know, there, there's positivity, negativity, depending on how you look at it. Um, you know, and, and I can include myself in this where a lot of people get introduced, and I think some of the allure and, uh, you know, the visibility of what. I think a lot of us that are proponents and advocates and uh, of the hunting world want, which is more visibility to see how awesome it is and, and the opportunity and, and everything that goes along with, you know, the Septembers and, and the archery hunting and all these other things. And then the flip side of that coin is the people that have been doing it now that go like, ah, man, like you guys, like all these out-of-staters, all these people that are, you know, watching too much YouTube and they're coming out here and like, yeah, they, they watch too much Born and Raised and Corey and whoever, Dirk, and these guys are just screaming all the time. It's ruining hunting. Like, talk about that a little bit because I think there, I, I fit somewhere in the middle because I think everybody's been in situations where, like, you go, like, oh, man, this dude's going to scare every elk off within three miles of here, right? And then at the same time, you're like, we need more people out in the field. We need more people that advocate for hunting and, and you know, that, that continue to help us ensure that there's a future for hunting, right? So maybe give a little bit of your, your take on some of that. Um, yeah, that's a very great question. Um, I I have I, – I'm torn between both of it, right? I, I, love, I love the fact that I cut my teeth on trying to teach myself – self-taught how to call elk in right and i used videos and i practice and i practice i practice right but i also had the opportunity because i was in colorado to do this every year and then then also i i knew how hard it was for me to learn and teach myself how to do it without anybody's help and and I wanted to I want to even to this day to cut the learning curve down for someone that's yeah. new to to the to yeah. to elk hunting. So why should you have to meet failure when I've met failure for you? Yeah. Right. So if I've failed and I told you not to do that and I've showed you videos or I've done an elk seminar or whatever and told you don't make these mistakes because I've done it before and it helps you be successful in the elk woods, then I felt like I've done you some justice, right? So you're going to see videos online of us, you know, out there calling and, and you know, your born and raised guys, they have their own style. Corey, he has his own style. My style. My style is probably very close to cores. I'm a running gun. I'm a very aggressive caller, and, and I'm very aggressive in the woods. 
So I think his style is close to mine. Um, and then you got Jason and the, the uh, Dirk. You know, everybody's style is a little different. So you watch the videos. And then you get these new guys that haven't done it before. And they watch the videos and they say, oh, that looks easy. And they come out to the woods. And then next thing you know, you have million trucks at the doggone, at, <laughs> at, the, at the road, park. And then you're like, oh, my goodness. I did not right. expect this. Yeah. So... So I fall in between both of them. The reason why I say that is because I really do, I do wish that, you know, everybody should get out and experience, you know, September at least once. And you ain't even got to be a hunter. Just listen to the music out there in the woods. It will, it will, it will get you stuck and addicted really fast, whether you're hunting or you're not hunting, right? Um, But I'm right there in the middle too, where I would like to see a little less in areas selfishly (laughs) selfishly right everybody's a little selfish so i I don't want to pull up and see 15 trucks parked because then i'm gonna be like what the heck i gotta change all plans but i also want them to get out and enjoy it and be successful because elk hunting let's just be let's just be real elk hunting's tough elk hunting's tough it's not like you sitting in a tree stand and you're waiting for this giant buck yeah. to come through. It's yeah. tough. And it, it's mentally draining. It's physically draining. And if if you're not ready for that and you haven't watched some videos or you haven't at least taught yourself the, the, the three things that I told you, then you're going to go out there and you're going to find out that it's going to be harder than, than it looks. So... But yeah, I, f- I find myself right in the mix of that because um, I would like everybody to be successful and and come out and enjoy the areas. But I also know there's, you know, areas that, you know, Colorado, for example, that are overcrowded and they're over overcrowded and they're hunted very hard. And uh, but there's some sec- success in those units because there's a lot of elk in those units. But I also know that... Um, you're going to have those units in Colorado, especially Colorado, that you're going to have to look outside the box and play a little bit different game, card yep. game, right? So if, they, if they're bringing something to the table and they're parked at that trailhead and there's 15 trucks, why are you right. going in there? Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you got to find a different drainage somewhere. So I've been there and I've done that and I've seen lots of hunters and, and used used to be over-the-counter units. Now they kind of dwindled them down. Um back in the day when they had the south uh southwest colorado a lot of those units used to be over the counter but now you got to draw those units um but it was tons and tons of vehicles out there and also woodsmanship right i think that plays a part because everybody everybody's not going to be the same kind of they're not going to give you the same kind of kindness but um you'll see a, a lot of stuff that happens that you necessarily wouldn't want to see as as a hunter and respecting the other hunters too as well so yeah i'm right there i'm I'm probably right there with you right in the middle but hey hey if you draw the tag good luck and and hopefully you know some of the stuff that you've seen me talk about dirk chasing some of the renowned elk hunters that 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 are being successful every year uh, hopefully some of that stuff resonates with you and you're you're successful whether this is your first time or many right. times. So you, you kind of mentioned it, which is, leads me into uh, my, my next question and, and maybe, maybe my last outside of just uh, 
making sure people know where to find you and, and, and a couple of things I know you got coming up. Um, I want people to be aware of, um, talk about uh, how you go, you know, through your, your kind of progression and trajectory with, you know, becoming an elk caller, being committed to, you know, really wanting to be the best. And, and, you know, obviously at the end of the day, it's about wanting to get out in the woods and, and having success and, and enjoying that part of it. Right. Which I think is, is the ultimate kind of goal for, for the whole, broad span of, of the, the thing, but talk about how you became associated and, and connected with Phelps game calls and, and Dirk and Jason and all that. Um, and, and what that's, you know, kind of, kind of done for you as far as, you know, I think that there's, there's a part of that that, that expands your window of, of what you do in the industry, which now, you know, you got tons of stuff going on, you know, work and, and, and lots of that, but more so, you know, within the conversation. Well, it really sparked off like um, in, in 2019 when I went to World Championships. Um, when I showed up there, I had no expectations of nothing. Um, and then when I started busting through the bracket, um, it wasn't about just winning. And it, it still ain't about winning. I always still use my competitions as practice, right? Every competition I use as practice because the real judge is in the woods. Um, but when I won world championships in 19 and I met Jason and Dirk um, for the first time, I wasn't using Phelps game calls. Um, I was using a mix of everything, right? I had a, you know, it was just like you, you go on the radio station and I can listen to all kinds yeah. of music, right? Whatever call sounded good to me. I was using those calls, right? right? So I, I think, think people have people right. start calling. Like we did a whole call series and I, I used 10, 15 different calls. Right. And said like, right. there's calls I can't blow. I just can't. Right. They just don't. And, and for right. me, it was an evolution. Like I love the calls that Phelps put out because I'm capable of making the best sounds with them. They just fit. It's whether it's the shape of my mouth, the pressure I put through it. Like I fell upon that and I'm like, that's, that's what's for me. Right. Um, so yeah. Right. I, so, so when I met Jason and Dirk, they were like, have you blown Phelps, Phelps calls? I said, no, but, uh, I, I I'm willing to Good try world. something. I'm always willing to try. It's like when you, you know, you, somebody makes some food, you never <laughs> tried it before. I'm willing to try Fair something enough. once, you know, but if it's good, I'll yeah, keep eating it, right? right? Sure. So, so when when I talked to Jason, he sent me out some calls, and it was a a series of all their calls, and he had probably two of each of those calls, all the way down to a bugle tube yep. and uh, other stuff. And I took the time, and I should have videoed right. this. Yeah. I opened up every call in that platform out of the package and i was like holy smokes i can blow all these calls with yeah. ease and it was no breaking time required now some of your your heavier latexes they'll, they'll break in a little bit more as you go because they might sound yeah. a little squeaky like uh the maverick um but i blew them and i was like these are some of the best calls i've ever yeah. used so not blowing Jason's head up, I called him. I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I said, these are the best calls I've ever used. I said, I'm going to use these calls this year 
and it was in 2019, I said, this year during elk season, I said, my favorite calls are this, my white, yeah. I had the white, uh, the white favorite. amp. I said, that's, I said, that's my favorite call. I said, but I loved all of them. So I didn't know which flavor I was going to yeah. take at that point. But, um, so then we started building a relationship. Um, and then, uh, I asked Jason, what's it going to be? you know, what's it going to take to be a part of, you know, a, a team like you guys? And he was like, I was just waiting on you to say you're ready. You know, so. Welcome aboard. So then, uh, so, so, and this was the build up too, because I only have two more years before I retire from the military. And t after 2024 Olympics, I wanted to still be working in the industry of outdoors and what, what a great opportunity to work with a call a call company like Phelps team and and what they have to offer to the to the world you know so um so i that that was the start of our relationship and the very beginning of our relationship but um i use all my competitions as practice for the woods whether you win sure. or lose honestly it's the same way on the wrestling mat Let's let's go out here and see if you're getting any better, or see what we yeah. can do, you know. And I use those competitions as as a uh, practice time leading into the Elk Woods because now, you know, as I gotten older, I I more so am concentrated on my son being able to call Elk King sure. really good. Yeah. So I've seen some when of I, those videos. When I'm he's not all, on he's state, right. <laughs> yeah, he's getting there. Heck he's yeah. getting there. So, so he's, you know, he's going to be the next guy that steps on stage and, and, and takes over, right? But but also, he's using that time as practice time because he just turned 12 years old this year. So he could, he could officially start hunting elk here in Colorado. Awesome. So, I mean, I'm super excited for him. It's probably not going to be archery right away because of school. Right. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm going to definitely look at those tags and uh, – See what we can for do sure. for him, but no, that's that's awesome. Uh, but that, that's that, that started the relationship with Phelps, and then and then I kind of started building a brand off of uh, with a good friend of mine called uh, Colorado High Up Two Hunters. It's just kind of taking off here, and um, and it's just an educational piece. We got some videos that we're kind of holding off from from dropping yet, and then um, but it's just educational because I wanted to cut the learning curve down for the average the average right. hunter that has come, come out, hunted elk a couple times and had no success. And now I point out the reasons why you had no success. These are the things you need to fix. And elk calling is one of them, right? You gotta, you gotta know how to call these guys. Right. And, um, but you don't have to be an expert at it. You just gotta know how to use those tools that are, that are laid out there for you. Um, so, that's kind of where I am right now. And then, you know, uh, my relationship with Phelps has always grown and it's growing every year. And, uh, hopefully, um, uh, in the future, I'm doing some, some, uh, new, new in, 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 uh, some, some work with them guys as we grow our relationship. And, and like, I, it's funny. Cause as you kind of talked about that, uh, you know, building in, in contact with, with Jason and, and the whole Phelps crew and, and all that, like, uh, my my 
kind of experience was the same. Like I remember reaching out and saying like, Hey, you know, I've used your calls and I was kind of the other way where like I'd gone through, I'd used, you know, every call that I could buy at Bass Pro Shop and Cabela's and crap like that. And like, you know, and, and I was, I was the guy who for a lot of the early years of my hunting, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't bugle at all because I wasn't confident enough and and I and I didn't want to be the guy running around blowing a kazoo out in the the woods, you know, messing things up for dudes or yeah, have people screaming like, "Man, look at that idiot over there. He's screwing it up. Like go home," you know, and 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 so like I committed to that and it was it wasn't until like I started getting into you know, Jason's calls where I was like, "Okay, I'm getting there." And then I start practicing and I start actually getting to where I, you know, I watched a ton of videos, you know, like we had a, um, a, a podcast with like Steve Chappell and like Steve Chappell from Elk Camp TV. Yep. Like I learned so much by watching a ton of the stuff that Steve put out years ago. And it was cool because I, I reached out to him like same way I do you like, Hey man. And he goes, yeah, sure. Let's do it. And I'm like, Holy cow. Like this is a dude yep. I like learned so much from and J and yep. Jason was yep. the same way. And I'm like, Hey, uh, I'd love to show people like how great, you know, all these calls are and, and we're going to do a review and all this stuff. It's like, all right. And I was like, wait a minute, that's it. And he, he's been great. And, and the same thing with Dirk, where he started messaging Dirk and he messaged back and started answering questions, started building some dialogue. And they've just been so inviting and they're, and they're so personable. And, and I think that it's amazing to me the things that I found out, because you're on both sides like I am, where you spend time in the sporting side and, and you see how much the competitiveness of some of these things are and how, you know, pe pe people That's have right. these like barriers and boundaries like that. This is what we do and this is what we do. And, and people want to kind of like protect stuff. And, and there, there's so much of that. And as we've worked our way more into this outdoor space, you know, meeting people like that, meeting people like yourself that have just been like so willing to share and willing to talk and willing to give you their time and, and whatever. It's just like this breath of fresh air where I've spent 20 plus years in, in this like athletic environment where it's, it's just, you know, it's do or die and all this stuff. And then you come over to this side and it's like, man, this is, this is nice. Like there's so many good people. Right. right. And, and so I think that's, you know, I think you sounds like you've had some similar experiences with that. And, and, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but like, I just, I've enjoyed that aspect of it for sure. Oh, absolutely. You'll, you'll find that most, most of all the hunters that are out there are willing to give you a little bit of time and, and educate you on their, how they were successful and what yeah. they've done. And, uh, more times out of none, you you all you got to do is shoot an email or something or text message if you have that number or and they'll reach out to you. They really will. Yeah. I know I will. Well, speaking <laughs> of that, I think it's a good way to, to kind of wrap this up. I know you've got a bunch of stuff coming up. There's uh, some some elk calling uh, seminars and things like that that you're doing. You kind of mentioned uh, the 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 new venture that you got going on. I want to know where people can, can find you. Um, and also some of the, the stuff that, uh, you know, can, people can find a way to identify or reach out or, or get an opportunity to maybe even learn from you. Yeah. So I got, as right now, that's on the books and on the table, right? I have, um, next week, March 19th, I fly from Michigan to back to Colorado, and I'm doing a elk calling seminar um, for Colorado Bow Association. Yeah. And 
they they're selling tickets online. You can go go purchase those tickets, but it's a two hour block of instructions from beginning calls to advanced calls. And then I'm going to break down everything from what I do. And it's going to be a lot of rabbit holes that I love to go down and tell you stories because I, I don't like when I'm doing these seminars, death by PowerPoint. A lot of people are doing these PowerPoints. This is what you do. I'm going to break this down and make it laser very entertaining. Pointer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Laser pointer. What? Let me show you what I do. And then, so that's on the 19th of, of March. And then, um, August, oh, well, of course, July, I'll be at world championships. Would love to see anybody out there. Come, come say hello. And then, um, and then August 13th, right. we have in, in Colorado Springs, um, Western Hunt Fest, and this is going to be the first one of many to yeah. come, but I'm also doing a seminar there, and then they have a elk calling competition that I'm going to be one of the judges at that competition, awesome. and then hopefully we'll have a, felt, a Phelps booth there. I don't know if we're going to be selling anything yeah. yet, but hopefully I'm working with, with Jason and Dirk about that and what we can do, but we might have a Phelps booth there yeah, too right. as well. And that'll be in Colorado yeah, Springs. August 13th. They, they just started releasing a lot of that info. And like you said, it's a fir first time. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole bunch of stuff. They're doing a really cool pack out challenge too at that uh, at that event, which yep. I think is – I saw that. Um, again, it's called Hunt Fest. Um, that's at the American Bowman. Yep. Is, is it at the American Bowman? I yeah, think but, so. Um, I do think in, so. In Bailey and uh, just outside kind of – between Colorado Springs and, and Denver, and it's a great, great place. Yep. Um, but there's just – check that out. Um, Jermaine's going to be there. Um, there's going to be a ton of, of passionate folks there. I know the guys from Kafaro will be there and, and a whole bunch of other things. So, yep. um, but uh, – and then obviously pretty easy to find on Instagram as well. Uh, I know that you got a lot of stuff going on there, and you're always posting things on there too. So, um, yeah. Yeah, you can just look up uh, Jermaine Hodge underscore Colorado – and you can yeah, find me. So, and we didn't uh, even talk. And I'll be posting stuff about that Western sure. Hunt Fest too. So, and we didn't even talk about Numa. I know you're a fan of Numa as well as we are. So, I I, I am a fan of Numa. They got some really good yeah, stuff. They they are the the new the new sickas. I would I would yeah, call right, them. Their stuff is amazing. Yeah, well, and, and we didn't talk about that, but like we came upon Newman, like all the all the guys that I hunt with, Jason being my partner, Jason's six foot eight, our our cam our camera guy's mm -hmm. six foot six, uh, one of my buddies is six six, his brother's six foot five, like Numa became this like first place where these guys could find clothes that fit them in the, from the hunting industry, you know, like, uh, and, and, right. uh, and then you, we started kind of working with them and it's, it's been awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan and I'm the guy now where they're becoming so popular. I'm the average size guy. I can't find anything cause they're sold out all the time of all their gear. So. <laughs> right. They are. Yeah. They so are. That's a good, that's a good problem to have unless you're the guy trying to get it. <laughs> so. Right. Yep, that's that yeah, is the truth. So, but um, Jermaine, n number one, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're on the road. Thank you so much uh, for for sitting down. Number two is um, when you come through town, you got to stop and say hi because we are uh, on the way from the airport uh, here in Denver. Whether you're you're going home or coming back, um, it, it... well, I'll text you. I'll text you um, on the seventeenth. Okay. 
of March and let you know when I'm fly in. I got my buddy picking me up, and then uh, maybe we can touch sure. base that evening on the okay. 18th. I'll, I'll fly in on the 18th. Maybe we touch base okay. and I swing by. Yeah, definitely. Let let me know, and uh, I'd love to love to catch up. Hopefully. Sometime between now and September, uh, we'll get an opportunity to, to uh, connect as well at one of these events. Um, you know, uh, the Hunt Expo I know is coming up here in Colorado as well. So there's all sorts of good good things going on, and, and uh, I know that at some point we'll, we'll manage to to maybe break some bread or something. So, but uh, absolutely safe travels. Thank you. Well, Go ahead. Yeah, well, well, we'll tell some hunting lies. Yeah, sure. That's what I call them, hunting yeah, lies. Lots of lots of stretching I'll get, I'll the get, truth. I'll get my Rolodex out. I got lots of them. <laughs> so well, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your service again. Um, you know, safe safe travels and all the best with with everything that you got going on. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Jermaine, I'll make sure that all of his information is in the the notes and description below so that he's easy to find. Uh, check him out on, on a lot of the new things you got coming out. I'm excited to see some of that stuff as well and uh, learn how to become a better caller. I know he's got lots of seminars coming up and we'll uh, obviously wish you good luck at the championships this year too. So, Absolutely. Right, I appreciate so it. Much. Take care. Okay. You too. Thanks again for joining us on today's Hunt, Hike, Harvest podcast. We appreciate you tuning in, and we look forward to having you visit us again in future episodes. In the meantime, follow us on all of our social media outlets on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as subscribe and like our YouTube page at Hunt, Hike, Harvest Outdoors, or H3 Outdoors. Have an interesting topic, someone you'd like to see on our podcast, or a current trend that you see in the field that you'd like to see us cover? Email us at hunthikeharvest at gmail.com, and maybe your questions will be answered in a future episode. Until next time, thanks again for joining us. We wish you all the best in your outdoor adventures, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Happy hunting.